Camouflage in the war had contributed to the overall design, a modern variation on turning swords into plowshares. Sidney and Hildegard had approached through the old, lace-like walls towards a charred cross, then through the Queen's Arch into the glass west front of saints and angels, before spotting the great Graham Sutherland tapestry of the risen Christ above the high altar, a figure of victory, serenity, and compassion. He has a particularly English face, Hildegard whispered, and she laid her head for a moment on Sidney's shoulder, making him smile. The congregation of the great and the good stood to sing the hymn All People That on Earth Do Dwell, and the dean gave his welcome. The Archbishop of Canterbury preached a sermon in which he argued that the building echoed the words of the prophet. This house of God was glorious, now it will be more glorious still. The choir sang the Magnificat, and the mayor of Coventry collapsed, overcome with the emotion of the day. For Sydney, the ceremony was both an affirmation of faith and a statement of national identity. And as he shared these thoughts with his wife when they made their way out of the cathedral, Hildegard reminded him that a special service was also taking place in the Kaiser Wilhelm Memorial Church in Berlin. Prayers were being offered up to the same God, at the same time, in countries that recently had been violent enemies, in the hope of a lasting peace. There was the usual bun fight at the deanery afterwards. The coronation chicken was washed down with the reasoning that some of the guests considered to be taking Anglo-German relations a little too far, and Sidney was able to see a few old friends, show off his new wife, they had not yet reached their first anniversary and quell any speculation that he was considering leaving the church for a career in criminal detection. Those rumours, he insisted, when his fellow clerics teased him and clinked their wine glasses in salutation, were unfounded. All he wanted was a simple life in a small parish, and soon, perhaps, he said, glancing at Hildegard, a family of his own. His wife smiled quietly. She had already reminded her husband that she was in her mid-to-late thirties, and the odds of having more than one child were long, almost as unlikely as Sidney refusing to involve himself in any more of Inspector Keating's inquiries. She had tolerated the continuation of the two men's weekly backgammon sessions at the Eagle, but had asked that any subsequent investigation would need to be approved by her in advance. She was prepared to accept that she might, at times, have to come second after God in Sidney's life, but she wasn't sure that she was going to take third place after petty criminals and felons. In the secular world, at least, she was always to be considered first. There were to be no secrets between them. Sidney could preach about forgiveness for as long as he liked in the pulpit, but he would not find it at home if he ever deviated from the straight path of his marriage. Is there to be no let-up? he had asked in a tone that was mock forlorn. I need to know everything you are thinking, mein Lieber, and if your conscience is clear, then you have nothing to worry about. I think I'll always worry about something. But not ever, I hope, about my love. Sometimes I can't believe my luck in finding you. Then imagine what it is like for me, Sidney. Hildegard's first husband, Stephen Staunton, had been murdered by his first lover after dallying with a second, and she had never expected to marry again. 
Now she had done so, she was determined to enjoy the happiness of their union, even if others had warned her that no marriage was ever plain sailing. Mrs. Maguire, for example, Sidney's former housekeeper, had already given Hildegard a crash course on the inadequacies of her new husband. He was, allegedly, prone to dreaming, hopeless at cooking, vague, untidy, and he spoiled his dog. He was easily bored, too often distracted, and never appreciated the food she provided, although he did like a pork pie, preferably with a gherkin, as well as sausage and mash, fish on a Friday and lamb on a Sunday, and that was helpful, because it would always do for the shepherd's pie the following day, and she would show Hildegard how the mincer worked. Mr. Chambers had to be made to sit down for meals, because otherwise he forgot or lost his appetite, and then he went and bought a bun at Fitzbilly's cake shop, because he had too much of a sweet tooth, which filled him up so much.